2 Corinthians 9, uh, 6 to 15. It can be found on page 1070 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have scattered abroad their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, people will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, I invite you to join me in prayer as we open up our talk on this passage. Our God of grace, as we come into this space, we come from different experiences, and yet we look to you. Everyone sits here and for the most part we've come in hopes that something might happen, something we might connect with you more, we might feel something we haven't felt, or we might reinforce things that we want reinforced. And whether we come without a lot of hope because of what's happened in life lately, or whether we come with a lot of gratitude because of what's happened in life lately, whether we come with a lot of faith or whether we come with a lot of doubt, whether we come kind of against our will or with all our enthusiasm, Whatever the reason is we're here, may we have a lot of curiosity this morning about the possibility that you have us here for a reason. That there's something way bigger than our little explanations. Something way bigger at work. And as that happens, we pray that you speak to us through the grace that you, that you have crafted this whole story of the Bible around. The grace that says, yeah, we're, we're more of a mess than we care to admit to each other. But in Christ now, we have confidence that we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. A total mess from our hearts all the way to our actions. And yet totally loved. How precious that is and can become if you would, you would just keep pouring it into our hearts. And we pray that you do that now in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. That's my hope, that God's grace really just floods this conversation about God's resources, God's finances, and our spiritual account balance, if you will. Um, I have a couple confessions to start out with. Um, one of them is that... Uh, one of them is that 
I, I've occasionally had these conversations, especially with my oldest sons, where we just kind of banter about what if, you know, what if we somehow had a million dollars all of a sudden? What would you do? What would you do? And they ask me, Dad, what would you do? What, would I, what car would you buy? You know, Lamborghini, you know, all this, you know, all these conversations, right? Um, and basically found that like there's a whole bunch of those just those cars that everybody talks about, and they're they're all like a quarter of a million dollars, like those top cars. I don't know. That's just like a fun fact of the day. Um, you know, like all those really expensive sports cars that you think of, they all kind of top out right around there. Um, so I, that's confession number one. And you'll see, in a way, as this message goes on, why that's a confession. Some of you might say, what do you mean confess? That's, that's great, a great conversation to have. Um, and then the other one is that uh, we bought a lottery ticket for Powerball. So, you know, this is in mid-August. I don't know if you remember the Powerball frenzy. It was up to, like, 700 and almost 50 million was the payout. And we were on um, my wife had planned this 40th birthday trip to Santa Monica, surprise thing. And so we were just, you know, in the California sun together without the duties and responsibilities of four kids and just enjoying the sun and the beach and everything and walking through Santa Monica. And we saw this liquor store that people were kind of going in and out of. I mean, this was at the height, like the, you know, the day of the draw, Powerball draw for 750 million. And people were just streaming in and out. We're like, let's just get a ticket. That'd be awesome. How many should we get? You know, just one. Don't t test fate. Don't get greedy. Just one ticket. You know, if it's supposed to happen, it'll happen. So that's confession number two. We got a ticket. And you may have noticed from the news reports that we were not the one <laughs> in the article. I don't know if any of you bought a ticket. I think I remember I, last time there was one of those big jackpots, I actually asked, because it was like a million and a half or something a couple years ago, and I asked, like, show of hands who bought a ticket, and a lot of us were like, oh. um, So I bought a ticket, so that's confession number two. And at the end of this sermon, um, you'll know God's working on you if you're questioning you know, in yourself that same kind of thread, right? That thread of like, oh man, but if just... There was just this much more money in my life, then all this stuff would be okay. Don't we all have? I mean, I, I, would, I don't want to accuse all of you in one fell swoop, but probably most of you um, have some dollar amount. That it's like, man, if, I, if this just suddenly got deposited in my account, if, you know, inheritance or lottery ticket or however it would happen, oh, man, what a relief. Life would be better if just this amount would take care of this and that and that and that. So we all have that, and I would say, like, by the end of this message, God is working if you start to see some legitimate questioning of that line of thinking. And, you might, and maybe even if you're starting to think the exact opposite, that, oh, life would be so much better if some of my stuff was taken away. So, ready to head there? <laughs> Um, the letter of 2 Corinthians is, has this section in it of chapter 8 through 9, which is this appeal to these people. Um, I don't want to go too much into all the historical details and stuff. We've got two weeks to talk about it. But it's a, it's a traveling minister, Paul, who is very concerned about the Jewish part of the church. Because there's kind of like a multi-ethnic thing going, the Jewish part and the Gentile part. So now he's writing a letter to the Gentile part, a community which the church, he actually started. He was the initiator of getting a church going. 
And he writes them about something he's doing. He's traveling around to all the churches that are in the more well-off part of the world and, and saying, support the poor, the impoverished Jerusalem Christians because they're in trouble. And so he's, making, he's going around and getting a collection. He's trying to prepare them so that they'll have it ready when he gets there. And you almost get the sense by how he writes, and he spends two chapters talking about it, that he senses maybe some lack of generosity and some pretty strong resistance. Um, he, you even sense a little awkwardness, like he doesn't actually ever use any of the Greek words for money. And he manages to use all these other ways of talking about it. So you just get a sense of what he's doing here. A little bit awkward, but you'll see very forceful in terms of what's going on underneath the surface. And so that's their practical situation. A sister church far away who's impoverished send, send money to support them. And at City Life Church, you know, you might say, you know, City Life Church, you know, today, what's the practical thing? You might say, well, City Life Church needs you to help own the mission financially. We talked about some of those numbers. Or you just might say, hey, Puerto Rico needs you. Um, you go on redcross.com and just do the drop-down menu, and there's like... <laughs> You know, Hurricane Maria, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Harvey, where do you want your dollars to go, you know? Um, so, where, however the practical thing is that you gear this towards, that's our practical situation. But because of this passage, it's not a conversation about numbers and data and percentages and tithing. That's not what this is talking about. What it's talking about is gospel generosity. And gospel generosity goes way deeper than a lot of our cheap, shallow generosities. Do you remember the George Costanza tip episode? For Seinfeld watchers, it, the show Seinfeld, George Costanza is always doing these awkward things and getting himself in trouble. And he, he pulls out this money at the counter kind of ceremoniously with fanfare to drop it in. But right as he kind of gets it up to here, the, the person standing behind the counter turns around to talk to somebody else. And it gets put in the, in the jar without them noticing when they turn around to, help, to finish helping him, his hand is deep in the jar trying to get it out to do it again when they'll see it. Costanza moment, but I would say that reflects one of the many shallow generosity kinds of things that could exist in our, in our lives as we sit here and process this message. You know, do it just to be seen. Do something just because you feel a little bit pang of guilt here or there. there I mean, these are also, it's kind of like in a way... I don't want to discourage any way that you relinquish your, your you know, white-knuckle grasp on your stuff. So sort of my job is in any way possible to go kind of, let's see if we can pry those <laughs> fingers off of it. Um, any way possible, whether it's guilt. I'm not going to use guilt. You know, I'm not going to use like, you know, that, anything like that. But you know, in any way, it's all good, however we unpry our grip. But we're going deeper into gospel generosity. And this is the concept of this passage is that there's an abundance of God. There's a huge abundance of God, and if you access it, if you actually are connected to it, access it, can see it for what it is, you will become a generous person. There's a great abundance of God, I'll say it again, and if you access that abundance, you'll become a generous person. And you'll actually look at your money and your trinkets differently, and that, those white knuckles will start to kind of Come out. You see, um, let me just read it, read kind of the heart of this passage. There's too much in this passage to really go over all of it. Verse 8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly 
So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have scattered their abroad their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And verse 11 really anchors this and pivots. You will be made rich. Oh, sounds good. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. But spoiler, sorry, it says you will be rich. Spoiler alert. It's a different, it's not cash, okay? We're not talking about God getting you some surprise cash. We're not talking about the ATM God. You know, you write a check today, something will show up in your life tenfold a couple weeks from now. We're talking about the riches that you're more likely to have if you're financially struggling and impoverished. Think about those riches. Imagine someone who says, look, I get, uh, each month I get uh, a total income. Maybe it's, however you imagine this income, maybe it's security, social security or disability or a, uh, a minimum wage job. I get $1,100 a month. I pay six fifty dollars uh, for rent. What does that leave? Four fifty. dollars I have four fifty dollars left to live on. Transportation, food, bills, cell phone, um, you know, anything else, clothing, any other needs, four fifty dollars a month. And now imagine you're talking to this person, you know them, you're, they're your friend, um, and, and this person also just lets it slip that in, in that, that tithe check I write every month for $110, and you're like, and any reasonable person says, stop doing that, right? Stop that is, why are you doing that? And just imagine that the person would say to you, oh, I, with a smile, with a lightness and a joy, oh, I got to do that. I don't want to become poor. Right? I don't want to become, like, spiritually impoverished. I got to do that. I'm connected. I'm rich. Look, listen, you don't understand. I'm rich. I know the abundance of God. And in verse 14, at the end of 15, which is like the closing little part of this whole thing, you see kind of the key, the secret of the whole thing. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Grace. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. And, and so, do you get the sense that it's not cash money rich that God's abundance is? There's an indes- That's easy to describe. I can describe to you a million dollars and what it can buy. I describe to you that car, right? But it's really a big challenge for me today to try to in some way describe this other gift, this other richness. Paul says himself here, it's an indescribable gift. So when these Christians get, when his, his whole thing ends with basically when you guys give to, for these impoverished people far away, when you, when you do start to give by God's power, 
It'll be because you know the treasure of God, because you have the gospel at work in your life. It's come alive for you. It's hard to describe, but you've experienced it. And, you know, in many ways, I start with a couple confessions because it's just true. I'm not going to pretend and fake, fake it up here like I, um, I'm cruising on this issue of money and the gospel. Um, I'm troubled. I'm regularly troubled that my, my eyes are more on top of my account balances on my mobile app than they are on my account balance with Christ. That troubles me. That makes me say, like, sort of internal barometer, um, I need work. I need to grow. Why am I so distracted by these frivolous things? See, the gospel says, basically, when you become a Christian, you have an inheritance deposited into your life. You do. And that inheritance is a lot like well, it's, it's your relationship with the God who is the sustainer of the universe. The sustainer of the universe. It is so much better than winning a million dollars. If only we could know that. If you were to see it for what it was, if you were to see your relationship with God through Jesus Christ for what it is, for the value that it is, for the difference that it makes at your deep inner level of just living your day hour by hour, if you could grasp it, you would laugh at someone handing you a million dollars and say, oh, no, 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 please. Oh, please, no, don't give me that. I don't want to lose what I have. The movie... Um, the movie Bucket List, we were just able to watch that this weekend for the first time with uh, Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. And Morgan Freeman's character, you know, gets, so, gets this lucky thing of getting placed in a hospital room. He's got six months to live. Gets placed in a hospital room with someone else who has six months to live. But it's the owner of the hospital, but not only that, a billion-dollar business of hospitals placed in the same room with him. And as they become friends, Morgan Freeman... You know, there, it becomes this thing of like, oh, there's, now they're friends, now they're going to go about their bucket list, and Morgan Freeman wins out on that because it's private jets here and there and go wherever, and that's kind of like that luck of just ending up in this room. That's how a Christian views their relationship with God. Oh, my goodness. Who would have thought? I'm in. I have an in. Forever. It's assured. There's no question now. It's my relationship with God is secure. I'm his beloved child. And so the Christian prays something like, Lord, may I access the abundance of, your, of being your beloved child. May I access that every day. May my fingers stop clasping on all the trinkets in my life because I'm now connected to such an unlimited deposit in my account. Help me to know spiritually that I have enough so that I can start acting like it in practical ways. For example, my finances. And like I said, I'm not super happy with myself on this score. So this week, actually, um, so I, I, I wrote a prayer, which is something I do a lot in a season when I feel... 
kind of drawn into a new reality or uh, uh, see a big need in my, in my life. So I'll write a prayer that I then kind of pray regularly. So this is my new prayer. Lord, something has awoken me amidst the mundane and the hurried trinkets of my daily life. Rather than rinse and repeat, I'm going to do something scary every day now. Ask for a greater experience of your closeness. I have settled for a blurry, watered-down connection to you. Please show me yourself more fully. Satisfy my heart's longing with your presence alone. And when I finish this season, or that when I finish this season, I will chuckle at the trinkets because they offer me nothing I truly need. Only by a greater experience of God, God's value, will the other things lose their value and their place in our lives. And one of the ways to start to get into that, we do this in our dive group, which is coming into our final three months where we're talking about people are writing their own prayers and sharing risks that God is leading them to take in their life. And one of the pieces in getting there is this big, huge list of 34 x-ray questions from a book called How People Change. And these are a, couple, a few of those questions. Just imagine asking these questions. Where do you bank your hopes? What hope are you working towards or building your life around? And this, this question, what are your plans, agendas, strategies, and intentions designed to accomplish? What are they designed to accomplish? Peeling, peeling away the onion here. What are you really going after in the situations and relationships of life? What are you really working to get? Okay, and then we've got one more. What makes you feel rich, secure, Prosperous. The possessions, experience, and enjoyment of, or sorry, the possession, experience, and enjoyment of what would make you happy? X-ray questions. They probe deep down. At one point, and, and like I said, um, we're, we're getting to the point in dive where we talk about these kinds of things, and people are even writing prayers. We've done dive five times. And... I got permission to share this prayer from a diver from the past. This has been written, um, and it has to do with this topic, so I got permission to read some of it, this prayer that was written. You sense how personal and deep this is. God of all time, from past and through eternity, my anxiety about resources available to me, including time, shows how limited my view of you is. I feel vulnerable to any potential financial disaster. The thought of helplessness has too much power to make me resist resting in your power and provision. I know, Lord God, that you have all the resources of earth and heaven in your hands. I know you are working behind the scenes to complete your plan to prosper and not harm me. I know that eternal treasure prepared to continues to grow inside the form made of dust. Creator God, may my anxiety and overwork diminish as you provide time for me to often rest and remember the beauty and grace of all the perfect gifts you give to me. 
Please show me the power of living in each moment you provide. That's quite a prayer. So I'm going to close in prayer. But perhaps the last word is just, not, just an encouragement not to be naive about the spiritual nature of a lot of your plans and your finances and your arrangements and your stresses about money. Don't be naive about the spiritual deep nature of what's going on there. And perhaps let this be the day that you stop kind of pushing it aside and pretending like it's a small issue. Let this be the day that you open up the door to grow finally where you need it most. Let's pray. Our God of grace, would you flood our lives with grace, this community with grace. May it be seen and felt in all kinds of ways. As we have the chance to come forward to the table of grace in a moment, may you use the elements that draw our minds towards the grace of the cross of Christ and the flood of forgiveness brought to us through your son Jesus. As we come to that table, may you put us in a place where we are that much closer to acknowledging our thirst, our unmet thirst, and to seeing you as the living water, as the one who will satisfy our longing and our thirst. Because our souls thirst for you so deeply. Turn us to your fresh, running, living water through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.